0: Good morning CBF. All right. Uh, First, um, a very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers at CBF. Uh, So we've been working our way through various portions of the Old Testament in the series. Last week, Benji took us through the story of David's victory over Goliath. Um, And the overarching theme of that victory was that the battle belonged to the Lord. It was a story of the people of Israel looking at the challenge of this great warrior of the Philistine Goliath and responding in fear. While David, the man who by all external appearance, people had rejected, um, he looked at the challenge from this Philistine warrior and he saw him as the enemy of God and he responded in faith. David didn't enter the battle in confidence with his own skill sets or in his own tools. But as he tells Goliath, he came to fight Goliath in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom Goliath had defeated. David trusted that God would defeat Goliath and give him to his hands. And uh, God did defeat Goliath. God did give Goliath into David's hands and he struck him down. It was not a story of the underdog David taking on the mighty warrior Goliath and um, and getting victory. It was a story of God fighting the battles for Israel. It was God who was protecting Israel, just as he had promised them. We also saw that faith was not about external appearance, but it was about our heart's, conditions, our heart's condition. People looked at the outward appearance and rejected David, but God looked at his uh, heart's condition and accepted him. And so today, we are going to go over this very famous psalm, Psalm 23, which was written by a man who was after God's own heart. Now, after the battle between David and Goliath, there's a lot that takes place between Saul and David. There is, um, in a way, there is an upward trajectory where David is set over as commander over the thousands of um, King Saul's army. He has a good friendship with Jonathan and um, he is asked to go to battle against the Philistines multiple times and the Lord in all these times gives him victory over the people over the Philistines over the Philistines David is faithful to his king Um, if you see that David was already anointed as king by Samuel but even then he does not stake his claim against King Saul he is willing to wait for the Lord's timing the Lord gives him victory in the battles that he goes to. But then there is a quick downfall when after defeating the Philistines and coming back, the people of Israel joyfully sing the song that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That particular statement, that uh, that particular song that they sing, it um, Saul hears that and he is not happy. He is overcome with jealousy. He says they have um, attested thousands to me and ten thousands to David. And from that day onwards, he sought to kill David. He made multiple attempts in uh, in order to kill David. He threw his spear when David was in his presence. And David evades these attempts at his life. Jonathan stays a true friend to David. And David realizes that in uh, in order to save his own life, though he didn't understand why Saul was after him, he knew that in order to save himself, he had to flee. And so there begins David's journey of running away from Saul, being constantly pursued um, with an intention to be killed. So he runs away, leaving everything behind. He has a wife, the daughter of King Saul, whom he leaves behind. He had everything there, which he left. And he starts living in the mountains, in the caves, etc. At some point along this journey, a group of men, about about 400 people, um, they join David and they find protection under him. These are men who are distressed. These are men who are in debt. But these are David's men of valor. And so they move along as a group. They settle in different places. They fight battles together. Uh, During this time, there are two instances when Saul and his army are still pursuing David. They receive information from different uh, regions, and they go to those regions pursuing David. And as they do that, there are two opportunities that David gets when Saul um, unintentionally falls into the hands of David. And David has very clear opportunities to take his life. His people even encourage him that God has given Saul into his own hands. But here again, you see that David is willing to wait for the Lord. He says, nobody shall touch the one who has been anointed by the Lord. He is willing to wait for the Lord's time. So, as we, as we see, David is not in a good place. He is running away, always being targeted by King Saul and his army, and it's not a good, thing, good feeling, right? But um, if you think that is bad, what happens is when uh, they have, uh, David and his men have a settlement, and when they go for a particular battle and come back, they, they see that the Amalekites have raided, this, raided their city. They have burnt their city, and they've taken their families, the, the wives and their children captive. Uh, As a side note, these Amalekites are the same group of people whom Joshua fought long back when Moses held his staff up high and God gave them victory. And God at that point said that he was going to blot out Amalekites forever. Amalekites are also the same group of people whom Saul was asked to destroy, but he did not. obey. And in doing so, he actually faced rejection from God as king over Israel. Now, coming back to the story with David, the men who were with him, his group of warriors, when they saw that their families, that their children, their sons and daughters were taken away, they were distressed. They were angry at David because he was their commander and they even considered stoning him. Now, if we put ourselves in David's shoes, you would see that he's had to leave his family in, uh, he does. He, he has had to leave his family. He's had to flee from King Saul for really no fault of his. He was constantly being pursued um, in order to be killed. And now this group of men who he trusted, who he went to battle with, they themselves were in so much distress that they even considered stoning him. It would almost seem appropriate for David to ask God this question, that God... In faith, I fought against Goliath. In faith, I fought the battle against Philistines. Saul was given into my hands, but I refused to lay my hands on him. And is this what I get in return? Many a times we find ourselves in situations where we consider our good works and see what we get from the Lord in return and ask why. But David is a man after God's own heart, and he does not question 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, records this, um, this, this situation and his response. And I'll read that for you. And David was greatly distressed. For the people, his soldiers, spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, because they had been taken captive. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David knew that restoration of his soul lies with God. So, when times got difficult, when um, he the what he faced was just impossible for him to overcome, he turns to the Lord his God to be restored. He drew himself closer to God rather than questioning his God. Now, this particular background story of David and all the, and some of the trials that he faced in his life is important because though. It is not clear when Psalm 23 was written. What is evident is that it was written by a man who had faced difficult circumstances, who had gone through difficult situations, who had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And he had learned through these difficult situations that the God is, that the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, he was able to say that I shall not lack and that I will fear no evil. With that background, let's get to the text of the psalm. Um, psalm 23, uh, David draws two images of God. The first one he draws from verse 1 to 4 is God as shepherd. Not only any good shepherd, but a shepherd who is also the king of this universe. David begins the psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, when we read through the Old Testament, one of the you will get a general understanding that God... is a God of of Israel, the nation as a whole, right? So they are blessed as a nation and they are cursed as a nation. They, They are sent away as a nation and then they're brought back as a nation. But here, David shows that there is more to it, that there is a personal element to it. He says in Psalm 23, and I'll read some verses, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And a little later in the psalm, he says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then going back to 1 Samuel 30, he says, um, it is written that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David understood that it was not just, God was not just a God of Israel, but he was a God for every sheep of his. Today too, it is no different. Uh, We are all part of a family and God is our God but there is a significant personal element in our relationship with God. As important as corporate worship is, brothers and sisters, there is a personal element in our relationship with God. God is not only our shepherd, but he is my shepherd. He is your shepherd. David understood this, and it is out of this belief that God is my shepherd that he is able to say, I shall not lack he believes that the good shepherd will do a good job of providing everything that he requires. He is thoroughly content in his shepherd and, his, and in his Lord's provision. In Psalm 84, uh, he, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And in Psalm 84, he goes on to explain what it is that he shall not lack. Psalm 84, the second half of verse 11 says, no good thing does he with, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God determines what we need. God determines what is good for us. And he has committed himself to provide every good thing that you and I need. David knows that as a sheep, he will not lack any good thing from the Lord. Now, after making the statement that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack, he goes on to list the ways in which the good shepherd provides for his sheep. There are seven provisions that David mentions in the psalm, and we'll go through them uh, one by one. All of these provisions that David talks about are David's declaration of faith that he has, he is, and he will continue to provide uh, for David. It's a display of David's contentment in the Lord, his God. So the first provision in verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. When we hear green pastures, immediately an image is formed in our minds. Um, it is of these open green fields. But contrary to that, there was a video that was shared a couple of weeks or months back, where it was explained that these green pastures are not necessarily as green as we imagine them to be. But they are more like grass shoots that grow on the on the edges of the rock. And the shepherd looks for these patches of land and and takes the takes his sheep. For them to graze right now nevertheless the sheep are sufficiently provided they depend on the shepherd to pro for their provision for that day and they are fed sufficiently and for the next day they again depend on the shepherd Uh, gene shared something about um, the israelites being fed in in the wilderness now in the wilderness god gave the israelites manna the instruction that moses gave was that each person must pick manna or bread that was sufficient for that day. They were to do that for five days of the week. And on the sixth day, they were to pick provisions for two days. But they were unable to believe in God or trust in him for daily sustenance. So some of them had leftovers for the next day, which rotted. And some of them went on the seventh day, the day of Sabbath, to see if there was any bread that would come from heaven. We are asked to depend on God for our daily sustenance, just as the sheep depend on the shepherd for daily sustenance. Now, the other thing that you notice in verse two is that the sheep lie down. It's obvious, isn't it, that that the sheep would not be lying down on green pastures, however green or not green they may be, if they were not sufficiently fed. But the fact here is that they are content that they have been well fed, that the shepherd has provided all that his sheep need and they lie down now. Our calling is to trust in God for daily sustenance and the assurance is that he will come through for us. The second provision, he says, he leads me beside still waters. You see here, the shepherd, the good shepherd leads his sheep to still waters. He does not Um, go behind them and beat them and take them to the place but he leads them he goes and finds a place for them and what you also see is that he leads them to still waters sheep prefer always to drink from still waters they don't they they given an option they would not drink from uh, running streams they would always drink from still waters you're seeing the good shepherd gives them exactly what his sheep need Now the first two provisions go hand in hand. God provides what exactly is needed by his sheep and he will provide to an extent that his sheep are satisfied and content in his provisions. The third provision that David writes is the Lord Lord is my shepherd. Sorry. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul now when david talks about restoration of soul he isn't just talking about a spiritual restoration but a, a restoration for all that david is for a physical restoration as well david is saying that because god is my because the lord is my shepherd he restores all of me he revitalizes all of me strengthens all of me not only the spiritual part but all of me when you see god's provisions until now he gives he provides nourishment he provides uh, Restoration to David. It's almost as if God is telling David, you know, slow down, calm down. I will take you to green pastures, I will give you still waters, I will provide nourishment, I will give you comfort, and I will restore you. Now, this is exactly David's understanding when back in First Samuel chapter 30, instead of just life in the midst of people wanting to, he goes, draws himself to the Lord for restoration. In the Gospels also, we see that Jesus shows a very similar behavior. After a long day of uh, performing miracles, after a long day of speaking to many people, he draws himself away from the wilderness. He goes and spends time by himself with God, his father. Both David and Jesus knew that it was God who restores. You know, we've all been through times when... um, When, which are difficult when our hearts are weary Um, and this particular time that we are living in in the last one year and more so in this past year we've all been through uh, much grief just looking at the suffering some have been personal but some have just been looking at the suffering of the people in this land Uh, recently I lost a friend who I've known for many years and I know that I'm not alone in this there are many who have who are going through such circumstances when our hearts are weary, when when it is just hard for us to um, look at reality and, and be comforted. When in such times do we know, do we remember, and do we understand that it is God who restores, that we ought to go to him to seek restoration? Jesus, our Lord, is willing to restore us every time that we go to him. Um, now the fourth provision or rather um, in the previous one we ought to ask ourselves who is it that we go to for restoration when the challenges in front of us seem too hard to overcome when the difficulties of life have seemed to just um, take all the energy, sap out the life out of us who is it that we go for restoration? There is No one else that can provide the restoration that God can. The fourth provision David says in this psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because he leads me in paths of righteousness. Just as the shepherd would lead his sheep in the right path towards the right destination, God, our shepherd, leads us in the right path towards the right destination. How does God lead us in paths of righteousness? Now, we might have thought of this question and we might have asked it in many forums. How does God lead us? Do we audibly hear his voice when we go through life and have to make decisions? Probably not. There are two ways in which God leads us in paths of righteousness. The first is the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God leads us in paths of righteousness by showing us the path through his revealed word. Sure, we may not find answers to very specific questions or very specific situations, but God has laid down principles. He he has laid down examples for us to learn from, to know the will of God and thereby make appropriate decisions. So as children of God, then it becomes our duty that we know and we learn the word of God because that is his revealed will. Now, in addition to the word of God, the second way in which God leads us in parts of righteousness is through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The Bible reveals to us God's, God's will and the Spirit of God transforms us from the inside. Both of them work hand in hand and lead us in parts of righteousness. While it is the shepherd's joy to lead a sheep, it is also the sheep's duty to follow him. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So God, our good shepherd, he leads us in paths of righteousness. But why does he lead us in paths of righteousness? In fact, um, David talks about God's provision, God's um, restoration. Why does he do all of that? He does that for his namesake. And David knows that well. The ultimate reason why David is led in paths of righteousness by God is not only, not just to help David, but it is for his own namesake. It is for the sake of his name, his reputation, his glory, his honor, and his praise. Now, you see this, you see David saying a very similar thing in another psalm. In Psalm 25, verse 11, he writes, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now, didn't David want um, a forgiveness for his sin? Didn't David want God to forgive him? He did. But he knows that that is not ultimately why God would do it. The reason why God would forgive a sinner is for his name's sake. So that when, God, when, when, when we see God forgiving a sinner, The praise, our praise, does not go to the sinner who repents. It doesn't go to the person who uh, led the sinner to repentance, but it goes to God and God alone. Now, David is not alone here in this understanding. Go back to the time um, of Moses in Exodus chapter 32, when the people of Israel um, worshipped a golden calf because Moses was gone for too long and they didn't know what had become of him. Um, God sees the unbelief, the impatience in the people of Israel and he, and his wrath is burning hot. And he tells that today, he tells that to Moses, what he's going to do with the people of Israel and Moses at that time, he pleads with God. He says in Moses, uh, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 12, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses here doesn't use the phrase for your namesake, but the idea is simple. That he pleaded with the God so that God's name might be glorified and the people of Egypt wouldn't get a chance to make a mockery of the name of the Lord. All things are to be done for the glory of God and God himself does all things for his own glory and honor. Up until now, you've seen David talk about God's provision for nourishment, for restoration, and for guidance. Now, in verse 4, David moves from faith in God's provision to faith in God's protection. Remember, this is still the first image of God that David draws for us, that is, God as shepherd. Now, I'll read verse 4 um, together, and then we will break it down into parts. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's take a look at the first half or the first um, uh, first part of this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now we saw earlier how the shepherd leads his sheep in the right direction towards the right destination. What David is saying here is this, even if the path is extremely dark, with real dangers, with the possibility of being attacked and killed, even if the shepherd were to take his sheep through such a place, David is saying, I will fear no evil. This shows an important aspect of uh, life of faith. The presence of danger does not mean the absence of God or that God is leading us in the wrong direction. It is easy for us when we are in difficult circumstances, for us to assume that God is absent, that God doesn't know what is doing, and it is up to me to do what is best for me. A person who lacks in faith looks at the valley of the shadow of death, at the difficult circumstances, and responds in fear. But it is in these difficult circumstances, in the valley of the shadow of death, that a person who is full of faith says that God is my shepherd and he is leading me. And if that means that I have to walk through this valley of shadow of death, I will still trust in my shepherd. I'm reminded when we talk about this of one great example of a display of faith in God, even when they are facing the danger or the reality of death. In the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has just pronounced the death penalty for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego this was because of their refusal to bow down to the golden image that he had set up and worship other gods. So when questioned by King Nebuchadnezzar himself, um, he had questioned them if that was true and if it is, then they were to die by the, fiery, by the fiery burning furnace, right? And this is their response in Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 to 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, and this is an important but, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Verse four of our psalm reads, even though I will not. And when we consider the story from Daniel, what the three friends are saying is this, even though we may be burnt alive, we will not fear and worship other gods. The presence of danger does not mean the absence of God or that God is leading us in the wrong path. In fact, if you go a little ahead in this same story from Daniel, you will see that it is in those circumstances that Jesus was literally present with them. He was present in a way that even King Nebuchadnezzar could not believe what he was seeing. Now, sometimes the value of the shadow of death might remain only a shadow, but sometimes it might become a reality. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, death was not a reality. But in the case of Stephen, death was real. He was he stoned to death for the defense of his faith, as we see in Acts But even when death becomes a reality, the assurance, the simple assurance we have is that even death leads us to a better place. Even death cannot separate us from the love of God. It leads us to a life of eternity with God who has loved us and who loves us. So put in the words of Paul, to die is gain. Now, how great an assurance is that to have brothers and sisters? You Look around us today, look at the suffering, look at the death and the sorrow that we see every day around us. Not only in this pandemic, this has probably increased, but even before that, you see the suffering as a result of sin. And then consider this promise that God is with us all the way, that even death cannot separate us from God. So the question then is this, in the midst of a painful journey, do we trust that God is God and he knows what he is doing? In the face of suffering or death, do we respond in fear or in faith? In the midst of a pandemic such as this, do we respond in fear or in faith? Now we move to the second or the middle portion of verse 4, which is the central part of the psalm. David tells us why he will fear no evil as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. For you are with me. David enjoys the presence of God in his life. And it is out of this conviction that God is present in his life that he is able to proclaim and say, He will protect and He will provide. This phrase, for you are with me, is the core of the psalm, the main theme. Psalm 23 is about a man after God's own heart, who in the midst of all the uncertainties of life, when everything around him is shaky, when nothing seems to be certain, there is one thing that he knows for sure. And that is God is with him. God is present in his life and he is convinced of this. And it is out of this conviction. It is out of this faith that um, he is able to say he is able to understand that God will provide for it. David's confidence is based on the fact that God is present in his life. Now, a couple of months back, we heard from Liju about the presence of God. The idea of the presence of God is crucial to understand God's storyline here. God always from creation intended for his presence to dwell dwell with the presence of creation, but it was our sin, mankind's sin that rejected that idea. Uh, What we're seeing here then is important. David's experience was that of God's presence, personal presence in his life. He is with David and he is his friend. Now, immediately you have to consider Emmanuel, David's descendant. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, through Jesus, we have the same reality that Christ is in us. God, the spirit, is dwelling in us. So how much more are the assurances that we see in throughout the psalm? How much more are these assurances real for us as it is to David? For you are with me. Now think about this for a minute. In the midst of all of the struggles that we have in life, in the midst of all of the suffering and the pain and the losses that we have, that we may have to endure, our assurance is not only that God is able to help us, but our assurance is God is present with us. He is right beside us. That has to give us comfort. That has to give us confidence in the Lord. David continues in that verse, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod is used to fight off the enemies and a staff is used to guide his sheep. David, it brings comfort to David knowing that his shepherd, his God has the tools that are necessary to fight against the enemies and not only that, to guide him as well. God uses the staff to guide us, not as punishment, but in order that we might continue to be on the right path. Now, uh, take a moment, as we have looked at certain provisions until now, take a moment and see, look at the God whom we worship. He nourishes us, he provides for us, he leads us in paths of righteousness. He He will guide us and he will correct us. And not only this, as we see much later, in the new testament god will give his life for us for our sake when we look at all that and then we and then we look at ourselves we did not deserve any of this right but god is our shepherd and he provides and he takes care of us so with this he completes the image of god as shepherd with the four provisions that he has listed out now the second image that david draws for us is God as host. Sam, if you can go to the next slide. Uh, Now, uh, we we covered four out of the seven provisions and we look at the last three provisions that David lists um, as we go along. David says um, in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When a shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures uh, to be fed and to be nourished, the confidence that the sheep get from the presence of the enemies when the enemies around are lurking around are lurking at them is in the fact that their shepherd is present with them that their shepherd provide and protect them psalm 23 is about david's contentment in his shepherd though he may be afflicted from various in various ways from different sides He is pursued by his enemies. He is not forsaken and he knows this. The Lord will set a table in the presence of his enemies and David will feast at the table of the Lord. The Lord is victorious and David is more than a conqueror. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, David says. Just as the anointing of oil provides soothing and comfort to sheep, um, so also anointing of oil provide, signifies soothing and protection to us. Sheep are anointed with oil uh, for comfort and also for protection. They are protected from the flies that can get into their nose and, and lay eggs and cause other he- uh, cause health issues. So they are, not, they, they are comforted as well as protected. And, and it signifies the same thing to us as well, that we are anointed by God. Now, whether to kings or to priests in the Old Testament, the anointing of oil also indicated that they were chosen and they were set apart. Now, when David sees all of this, when he sees that he is anointed, that he is protected, that he is comforted and he is set apart by God, to the extent that his cup of blessing is overflowing, he can only thank God. He is... The the, the love that he is receiving from God and the love that we receive from God is limitless. Our cup always overflows with the blessing from God our Father. Now Jesus, the the shepherd that David talks about, also says this. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. As we saw before, God determines what is good for us. And he has committed himself to not hold back any good from us. Why? Because he is my shepherd. He takes care of us. He provides for us. Now, the last verse, verse 6 of Psalm 23, is the final affirmation of God's faith. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In some versions, it says goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Now, both pursue and follow are active verbs. Goodness and mercy is not just tagging along, but the goodness and mercy of God is pursuing his sheep. The goodness and mercy that David talks about here with such great assurance. Now, this isn't what God is going to show to all people. It is covenantal. Um, It is the goodness, uh, sorry, Um, God has bound himself to be David's God um, as his covenantal God and David has accepted to become part of God's covenantal people. Um, So within this relationship, David is is assured of God's provision, and uh, he is assured of God's goodness and mercy to pursue him. Now, um, in fact, if you see the entire psalm, all the proclamations of provision and protection, this does not apply to everybody. It applies to Jesus' sheep. So this brings about an important question that we have to address, but we'll come to that a little later. Finally, David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Consider this, David's final destination and our final destination and is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the focus is not on the house, but is the focus is on the fact that we will get to dwell with the Lord and forever in, through eternity. This is the promise, this is the hope that we have and this is the hope that Jesus also promises when he says that in my father's home, there are many rooms and I, um, and he promises to prepare a room for all of us. So in conclusion, we have three affirmations in Psalm 23. First, the Lord is my shepherd. Second, you are with me. And finally, David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The central theme of David's relationship with God is not his religion. It is a personal presence of God in his life. God was present with him and God is his friend and he guides him throughout. And it is out of this affirmation and confidence of his presence that um, David is able to even say, I shall not want, I will fear no evil. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, a thousand years after King David lived and he died, his shepherd was born. The shepherd's name is Jesus, as we all know. And when he began his ministry, he picks up the same imagery of a sheep and shepherd. And he says in John chapter 10, 10 verse 3, my sheep hear my voice and I call my own sheep by name and lead them out. And when I have brought out all my own, I go before them. And my sheep follow me, for they know my voice. Later in verse 10, he says, I came that my sheep may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A few years down the line, after he said, after he spoke about the good shepherd laying down his life, he did lay down his life. Our good shepherd laid down his life at the foot of the cross for the sin that his sheep had committed. Now, the good news of the gospel is this, brothers and sisters, that the good shepherd died for us. But not only that, the good shepherd overcame death and one day he's going to come back for us. Someday, either when we die or when God decides to bring an end to time and Jesus comes back. And that time we will be able to experience, as we say with David, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now in Revelation chapter 7, John, looking at this dwelling in the house of the Lord, he says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The question then that comes out of Psalm 23 is this, are you one of his sheep? Is your neighbor one of his sheep? Because the promises of Psalm 23 are not for everybody. The promise of personal presence, the promise of provision and protection are for his sheep. His sheep know, That they are sinners, that they have been separated from God and they can do nothing about it. They believe that Jesus, their shepherd, died for their sins. They follow him and commit their lives to him. So, if you are one of his sheep, then the challenge from Psalm 23 is this that we live our life in faith. Are you and I content in God's presence and in his provision in our life? Are you and I, when we walk through When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when faced with dangers and when we face death, do we respond in fear or do we respond in faith? These are questions that are relevant and important, especially in a time like this. And if you are not one of his sheep, then God invites you first to admit and to confess and repent of your sins and to admit that you are a sinner. Then to trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and it was sufficient, that it was a penalty that was paid for you and for me and commit to your life and become one of his sheep. I thank you for listening to me. I thank you for your patience and I will close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our shepherd. You are not only our shepherd, but you are my shepherd. And when we look, at the assurances that we see in this psalm that David lists out for us, the first thing that we can think of is we do not deserve this. But we thank you, Lord, that you are a good shepherd, that you are much more than just willing to provide for us and take care of us. I pray, O Lord, that we would trust in you to an extent that when we face dangers, when we face death, when we face trials and tribulations, that we will walk, through that valley, because we trust in you, because you are our God. Lead us, O Lord, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that in all that we do, our, our purpose, our aim would be that your name might be glorified. And help us to see this theme throughout the Bible, that all that we ought to do and all that you do is so that your name might be glorified. I thank you, Lord, that we have a hope that we look forward to that one day we, we will be received by you. We will be in your home and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray that um, if there are any who do not know you, to whom uh, these assurances are not real, I pray, O oh Lord, that, um, that you would convict them, that you would bring them to a point of repentance, of conviction that our sin is real, that our separation from God is real, and that we ought to look at the cross and trust that you have paid for our sins and be able to trust in you um, and, and be able to trust in that act of sacrifice that you gave for us, O oh, Father God. Um, we thank you. We we pray for the word that has gone out as well, a oh lot. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.